Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Clayton, got a question for you. What if I told you that the modern-day drug war all began with the NBA draft? Nah, you got to do some more explaining. So, Len Bias was a basketball prodigy. Yeah, I'm in the NBA now. I've got drafted, so now my dream has come true. Len Bias, on his way to becoming a world champion Boston Celtic, died of an apparent heart attack today. Bias had just suffered a seizure from taking too much cocaine. We must be intolerant of drugs, not because we want to punish drug users, but because we care about them and want to help them. Members of Congress are back in their districts campaigning for the 1986 congressional election and realize if we use this tragic death legislatively, we have the chance to appeal to the American public that we're the anti-drug party. What we need is another D-Day, not another Vietnam. We're the anti-crime party. We have to hold every drug user accountable. Because if there were no drug users, there would be no appetite for drugs and there'd be no market for them. To be clear, a lot of this was based on a confidential informant that has the name of like a strip club DJ. Giroux St. Valentine Brown. Ain't no way that's your real name. And who lied about his actual expertise on this issue. Is that accurate? That's the essence of it. Hey, this is Clayton English. This is Greg Glaude. And this is the War on Drugs. Clayton, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. Greg, what's up? Not much. Um... Really, really excited to talk to our guest today, Eric Sterling. I just love like the history of all this stuff, and and it's amazing how arbitrary it all was. Like, why do we have ten year mandatory minimums for this amount of drugs? Why do we have a thirty year? Why is 
crack treated a hundred times worse than cocaine when they're literally the same drug. Yeah, when we were starting this series, one of the things that you said, you know, we had to talk about was, uh, you know, mandatory minimums. Right. And what a mandatory minimum really says is that we don't care who you are. We don't care why you're here. We don't have any value in your life. You've done this. And now you're going to stay in prison for a minimum amount of time, regardless of the facts and circumstance around your case, regardless if you were a low-level person in this organization, regardless if you're a father or a mother. So yeah. if you were a part of this, you were just hopeless. And who cares where you come from? We don't want to hear your excuses. Right. It's it's a mandatory. And things get like trivialized, too, because you hear about people getting... A hundred years of like back-to-back life sentence. Right. Like, what are they going to do? Die and come back? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's what they expect. Like, they expect you to do more time than you can physically exist on earth in some of these cases. Judges are throwing out, like, what they say, football numbers. Like, if you're giving somebody 88 years, like, that's a jersey number. Right, like, exactly. that's, that's not a number that you give somebody to rot away in a cell, like, yeah. And so we're, we're gonna talk to Eric Sterling and he makes a pretty, you know, bombastic claim that the death of Len Bias, who was an uh, amazing Maryland basketball legend, got drafted number two overall, I think, by the Boston Celtics, was gonna play with Larry Bird, um, and they were just gonna win title after title together. Yeah. They dies just of, won the championship, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, dies of a cocaine overdose, everyone said it was crack. And the crazy thing is, a lot of the laws that we see today kind of started from that lit the match. And so Eric Sterling, our guest, says that this is about as you know consequential as 9-11 was in that way because it brought on a lot of these mandatory minimums and drug yeah. laws. I want to hear why he says it's as big as 9-11. Yeah. I think Eric's got an interesting point. I think he's got a, a, a decent case, and so I'm, I'm interested to hear about it. Nah, and, yeah, I want to see where he stands. And so... You probably think that we're just bringing on a, a criminal justice advocate to talk about history and, and everything else, but you know, you'd be wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's a little deeper than that. Uh, I mean, the reason we got Eric here is because he actually helped write the laws that he's spent the last forty years trying to overturn. Yeah, so that's crazy. That's we got somebody that wrote the laws that have just decimated, you know, communities and people. Well, Clayton, you're a part of the Marvel world. It does sound like the scientists that like developed like the thing for good, and it turns out oh, even yeah. now they're trying to destroy it for their like rest of their lives. Oh yeah, yeah. you 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 know Frankenstein trying to destroy his monster. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's trying to uh, make that right. But I want to know how he came up with it in the first place. Like, and Frankenstein's the doctor, right? Yeah, and it's just the monster. Yeah, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, yeah. But Frankenstein are, should be the name of the monster, right? I, it's it's like a brand name thing. You can you can have a monster, but it's not a Frankenstein's monster. Right. Yeah, no, but you know what the real thing is? The doctor was the monster. Right. He created the oh, monster. Oh, okay. right. And the monster was never... Yeah, I could do this all day. I That's had to true. write a book report that I used yeah. Cliff Notes on <laughs> to get through. Shout out, Mary Shelley. Yeah, I guess Frankenstein started... You almost fell empathy for him at the end. Like, he is... Yeah, yeah. he didn't want to be here. No, that's fair. Yeah. Who wants to be made up of a bunch of different dead people? Yeah. And so going back, to, yeah, so the monster is the drug laws. Oh, <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein is Eric, and, yeah. and Frankenstein's trying to kill the war on drugs. Yeah. Okay, that's how, got I, it. Think, I think you sound about right. All right that I think that makes good. sense. All right, that makes sense. <laughs> but no, he's definitely trying to undo, you know, what is done. But then, yeah, let, let's get into it because a lot of this stuff was founded on uh, false 
information. <laughs> Some very interesting ways that yeah. our, our drug laws were created. And, you know, Eric, he was the principal aide and, and counsel um, crafting the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 and 1988. Yeah. And I want to get into him with that, like living in that time. How did that impact everything moving forward and like where they get their information from? Right. Like, he, and they made yeah. the laws so fast with such little information and they've lasted so long. Yeah. And we're still living it. Yeah. I mean, most of them are still, you know, around today at the federal and state level. So, I mean, he has an amazing resume. There's no one better to talk to about this issue than Eric. He was living it. He created it. Uh, now he's trying to kill it. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's get it. Let's get into it. Yeah. So thank you, Eric, so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. My pleasure, Greg. We were chatting before, and, and you had mentioned that the death of Len Bias was a trigger point uh, in the war on drugs and where we're at today. And I think you even coined it as almost like a 9-11 moment in our country uh, from the diametric shift that we were before and after uh, that change. Can you talk a little bit about who Len Bias was, his importance just as an individual, and then you know really what happened uh, moving forward from his death and you know the weeks leading after that? Yeah, comparing it to 9-11, that's, <laughs> you got to explain that to some newer people. Well, I'll explain why. Yeah. So Len, Len Bias grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, went to the University of Maryland, which is here within the Washington Beltway, and he was a star there. You know, I mean, his principal league rival was Michael Jordan. And it's announced he's been drafted by the NBA champion Boston Celtics. He's going to be the next star of the NBA champion team. And people are ecstatic for him. They're excited. And that night, he is actually now partying in his dormitory at the University of Maryland. And as the papers are going to press with this story, his roommates are calling 911 because he's gone into a seizure. And by the by the morning, he has died from a cocaine-related uh, seizure. It was rumored that it was crack cocaine. It was not crack. It was powder cocaine. This is the end of June. It's the recess of the 4th of July. And members of Congress are actually back in their districts, busily campaigning for the 1986 congressional election. The Speaker of the House in this period of time is Tip O'Neill from Boston. And, and he realizes if we use this tragic death of Len Bias as Democrats, legislatively, we have the chance to appeal to the American public that we're the anti-drug party, we're the anti-crime party, even though that's been something the Republicans had been able to claim for some number of years. They had to like out the Republicans. Yeah, it was just like, you could be tough. That's Right. right. That's exactly right. So Bias's death is the match that lights this explosion. And the consequence then was this was legislation that completely transformed the American justice system in terms of ushering in long mandatory sentences. So this happens. Tip O'Neill, you know, says, I, I think he wanted this whole thing done in like four weeks, right? I mean, it was just a very quick thing. And where are you at this point? Tip says, hey, four weeks, we got to get this thing out. And then we roll from here. I'd love to hear that. Um, the Speaker wanted all the House Democrats, he wanted Democrats all over to be able to take credit. And so every committee, whether it was the Small Business Committee, 
or the Merchant Marine and Fisheries Committee, or the Interior Committee, or the Agriculture Committee. All of these committees were kicking in to this huge process. And so they're all having hearings on the plague of drugs. So the Interior Committee has the plague of drugs in the Virgin Islands and Guam. And the Agriculture Committee has the plague of marijuana in the national forests. All of these just gigantic change in national policy is being crammed into this four-week window. And the reason that I drew in part a comparison to 9-11 is after the attack on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and the threat of 9-11, Congress in the same hasty period wrote the Patriot Act. You know, is this going to ram this legislation through you're barely going to have time to consider what the implications are. Bam, we're going to show we can move fast because there's a crisis. Yeah. And that's. Right. Is that that's much of a problem? On. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like you think about that time, all the implications that this all had, and it was all written in four weeks. Right. And the yeah. fishing and, and the wildlife and the, committees getting, you know, crack and trout. Yeah. Is it a problem yeah. for your yeah. salmon and your stream? <laughs> like, and that's. And so, I mean, who was involved in. Was the DA, like who was actually involved in writing this? Was there scientists, physicians? Like how lacking of actual research and data went into this bill in this four weeks? Right. We heard nothing from the judges, nothing from the Bureau of Prisons, nothing from Maine Justice, you know, nothing from the Bar Association, nothing from law professors. Not, nobody talked about the, the disaster of the Rockefeller drug laws right. and right. their mandatory. You know, it's bam, bam, bam. You know, because of the drama of how quickly the Congress worked and what the language of the statute says, five grams, which is the weight of a nickel, would get you up to 40 years. Right. Now, before these laws were enacted, you're a big dope dealer, you get 15 years. If you're a kingpin, you know, you make millions of dollars. If you're a kingpin, then you can get, you know, a mandatory minimum and up to life. But when these new laws came in in 1986, you didn't have to show anybody was a kingpin because you could get these long sentences from these very small amounts. Now, one consequence of this is if you get charged and you're facing mandatory minimum of 10 years, your defense counsel may say, look, the government is willing to reduce the 10 years but you've got to you've got to testify against somebody else. You've got to cooperate, and so a whole snitching thing sort of developed. And I get to walk free. Yeah. So Tommy's in the car with me a couple times. I can say he knew and yeah. ran stuff for me. And no drugs can even be found. Right? It's. I think that's a misnomer people have that they need the drugs on the table and you don't. Right. No, that's correct. You're gonna tell laterally. You're going to tell who's next to you. We're not going to go up the ladder. If the informant says, I saw five kilos, that's evidence of five kilos. Right. If the, if the informant says, the, the defendant bragged that he shipped an airplane load through and said he, he flew a ton in from Haiti, that's a ton. And they're criminal informants. They're both professional informants, and then there are opportunistic informants, you know, who are caught up in the in the in the activity. Yeah, and I think most of those people aren't even the most reliable people. Like they'll say anything to get out of doing their time. Sometimes, you know, and that's counted as evidence, especially if they're being encouraged. Exactly. 
We'll be right back with The War on Drugs. Hi, I'm Jason Flom, CEO and founder of Lava for Good Podcasts, home to Bone Valley, Wrongful Conviction, The War on Drugs, and many other great podcasts. Today, we're asking you, our listeners, to take part in a survey. Your feedback is going to help inform how we make podcasts in the future. Your complete and candid answers will help us continue to bring you more insightful and inspiring stories about important topics that impact us all. So please, go to lavaforgood.com survey and participate today. Thank you for your support. The War on Drugs podcast is sponsored by Stand Together. Stand Together is a philanthropic community that partners with America's boldest changemakers to tackle the root causes of our country's biggest problems. Weldon Angelos is one of those changemakers. At the age of 23, Weldon was arrested for a first-time offense for selling weed to a confidential informant. At the time, he was a budding musician, spending time with artists like Tupac, Snoop Dogg, Pink, and Nas. His entire life was ahead of him when he was sentenced to a mandatory 55 years in federal prison without the possibility of early release. After serving 13 years, a bipartisan effort led to him getting officially pardoned. Upon his release, he founded the Weldon Project, a nonprofit working to create a better outcome for those still in prison that funds social change and provides financial aid for all those who are still serving time for cannabis-related offenses. Weldon Angelos is one of many entrepreneurs partnering with Stand Together to drive solutions in education, healthcare, poverty, and criminal justice. To learn more about Stand Together, their partners, or how you can partner with Stand Together, go to standtogether.org. Yeah, and these numbers, I'm, I'm going to assume based on what you talked about, probably just out of thin air. Like, where do you get five years for that amount? Where does 10 years come from? And yeah. Yeah. So the, the House, our penalties for the mid-level trafficker, the, it was a mandatory of five years up to a maximum of 20 years. And then the highest level offenders were a minimum of 10 years up to 40 years. When it went to the Senate, which was controlled by Republicans, and at that time, Senator Biden was the top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, working with Strom Thurmond from, from South Carolina, they came up with much longer sentences. So five years with a maximum of 40 for the small mandatory minimum. 10 years with a maximum of life imprisonment. The other piece of it is the quantities that are picked. The quantities are obviously critically important. So when the conversation began, the first proposal I came back with legislatively is let's use DEA's own definition of the highest level traffickers that they investigate. So I brought this to the subcommittee. And Congressman Mazzoli from Louisville, Kentucky says, wait a minute, we don't have drug traffickers this big in Louisville. Now, nobody said, Ron, that's a good thing. Nobody (laughs) said to Ron, hey, Ron, look, Louisville, it ain't Miami. It's not Los Angeles. You know, Uh, maybe we don't have to worry about, you know, these mandatories, top kingpin levels in Louisville, Kentucky. But no, Ron's right. Ron Mazzoli's right. These... Eric, this isn't any good. You know, you got to bring back 
smaller quantities. We're going to come, we're going to pick this up in a day or two. And so, wow. So I, I consulted. <laughs> That's I consulted, the opposite of what y'all were trying to accomplish, right? Wow. If you, was, you went from kingpins to little fish. So, so here's the, the most comically tragic kind of dimension of this is that I consulted with an expert who was on the staff of the Select Committee on Narcotics Abuse and Control in the House of Representatives. And so I knew the staff and I call up uh, the, this narcotics investigator who has been detailed to the Select Committee uh, from the Metropolitan Police Department of Washington, D.C., named Drew St. Valentine Brown. And Drew St. Valentine Brown was the most famous narc in Washington, D.C. And I knew, I called, I said, look, I, I've got to come up That's with- That's a great narc name. <laughs> I, you know, I've got to come up with some numbers. And so this street-level narc gave me the numbers that we ended up using. Brown later went back to being a narc. And in one of the cases, a defendant that he was prosecuting had an attorney who was a court-appointed lawyer who usually did civil work. And in a civil work, when, when you know, the other side has an expert witness, you check them out. You know, so Giroux had said, I was a pharmacist. I went to the Howard School of Pharmacy. So he calls up. No, he never went to the Howard School of Pharmacy. <laughs> and he had perjured himself time and time again. Oh, man. And was then prosecuted by the Justice Department for perjury in countless cases. At his sentencing, he forged letters of recommendation. Oh, why not? In his yeah. defense. That's the oh, guy, Jeru St. Valentine Brown. So that's who you got. Oh, man. Yeah. And literally it was, <laughs> hey, how are you nabbing street dealers? Let's use those numbers to somehow <laughs> create bills to get high level traffickers. And the way that they're written, everyone's a kingpin because everyone's involved in every bit of drugs and there doesn't even have to be drugs. And to be clear, a lot of this was based on a confidential informant that has the name of like a strip club DJ. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> just let's, let's Ain't no way that's your real name. And who lied about his actual <laughs> expertise on this issue. Is that accurate? That's the essence of it. The final numbers came from the Senate. We didn't have 100 to 1 in the House. We had a big disparity. The, the idea for these numbers was how do we identify where somebody is if they're a trafficker in a drug traffic pipeline. And then when the numbers went to the Senate, the Senate Republicans, they were going to be tougher than those libs in the House. So they shrink the numbers and they raise the sentences. So a maximum of 40 becomes life imprisonment. 20 grams of crack becomes five grams of crack. In the Senate, there wasn't any sort of analysis. They didn't have Jeru St. Valentine Brown or anybody. They just had politics. We're, we don't care what these numbers really are, but they got to be tougher. We got to own the libs. We have to own them. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Was it kind of a slow deterioration of like, this was not what we intended? Or was there a kind of a come to Jesus moment and aha moment? Was there anything specific that happened within your time for that? You're just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe what's happening here. It it was a briefing of the Select Committee on Narcotics on the problem of AIDS among injecting drug users. 
We had epidemiologists who were briefing members of Congress. This is the very beginning of the AIDS epidemic, when, when the word was just being invented, when people didn't even know exactly what this terrible disease was or how it was spread. And so epidemiologists are now explaining to members of Congress who are interested in the problem of narcotics that men and women who are injecting drugs sometimes share needles because needles are contraband and they're expensive. And that that sharing of needles means that they're sharing blood and that HIV is being shared among heroin addicts and they're dying at very high numbers. And I'm watching the members of Congress sitting on their dais hearing this information and a, and a member kind of suddenly like perks up like, oh, wow, I ju just had this insight. And he says, you yeah, Mr. Chairman, well, this is going to solve the heroin epidemic, meaning they're all going to die. When the heroin addicts die, that will solve the heroin epidemic. Wow. It was a recognition that drug users are not really human beings. They're not part of any family I know. And if they die, well, because they're such bad people and they're so dangerous and they're so threatening and they're so criminal and, and depraved, that's a good thing. And so we'll quote, you know, we'll let nature take its course. Wow. Yes. It was seeing that and understanding how full of hate and contempt the war on drugs is in the in the minds of the architects and the drivers. That was the big turnaround for me. You saying that made me realize how much of a war it really, where you don't care about who dies, where that's, oh, that's a win. Just that person saying that in that moment, like, oh, this is the answer. Wow. That's going to solve this part of the drug problem. I can't imagine, Eric, you're kind of, you must have had some days writing this stuff, hearing those things previously about how people thought about addicts, and then helping to draft these bills. I mean, there must be some apprehension and then some regrets, and just battling with that must have been incredibly difficult you know, during it and then you know, after. The short answer is, yeah, it was very hard. When I helped start Families Against Mandatory Minimums, and I would meet the family members of people who were serving 20- and 30-year mandatory minimum sentences— you know, and to know my role in this. It, it, it's always been disturbing to me. I don't believe that the war on drugs makes any sense. When drugs are legalized and regulated and controlled, the users will be safe and the crime of the streets goes away. Legalization is what we need to reduce crime. If you're concerned about organized crime, legalize drugs. If you're concerned about crime in the streets and prostitution and all these other kinds of things that shoplifting or whatever, burglary, robbery, those crimes go down when drugs are legalized. Right. Yeah. And you can't save the lives of drug users by giving them poison that criminals have sold them. Right. Now, in yeah. one sense, it can't be stopped. We know, you know, you shut down the market here, it will pop up somewhere else yeah. because of the demand until, until we make treatment w available without stigma and without, you know, without degrading people who need treatment until we treat people who need treatment as people we love instead of people we hate or, or disrespect. We're not going to- People gonna, we're, that we're, we're at war gonna, with. Or that we're at war with. Thank you so much, Eric, for your efforts and all your work that you've done through the years and take the time to talk to us today. Thank you, man. Clayton, Greg, thank you so much for inviting me to, to talk to your audience. We'll be right back with the War on Drugs podcast.
Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. So, Greg, did you know about uh, this guy, St. Valentine Brown? No, I did not know about Johnny St. Valentine Brown Jr. Uh, that is, I love that name so much. Yeah, no, I had to Google it. Well, I had Michael Google. I don't do my own Googling. Not this <laughs> oh, time. Yeah. Get yeah, producer Michael. I love yeah, it. Right? I love yeah. it. We too big to Google for ourselves. Yeah, I'll text Michael <laughs> to Google for me. Yeah, and then bring me the results. But. <laughs> I mean, this guy, um, I mean, if if it wasn't like in like the Washington, you wouldn't believe the story that like this man was a major contributor for why we the way that we have quantities and drug laws. And I mean, listen to how they talk about this guy in 1983. So I got to I'm going to read you a little bit of this um, article from The Washington Post. It's titled flamboyant narcotics expert is key witness in drug cases. And flamboyant is how they started flamboyant. off flamboyant with. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly what you want to hear about your narcotics. Anyway, right. yeah, I don't know why that was a yeah. Did he have a feather boa when he, he did? I don't know what. <laughs> why yeah, like what so, makes a flamboyant? Like, he was dressed like Ric Flair. Yeah, exactly. Like. <laughs> the Bishop Don Magic Wand. <laughs> right, our narcotics right. expert, the Golden Chalice, was there. Um, yeah, so he was a DC police investigator for 14 years. Brown, a dapper man who drives to work in a brown 1977 E-type Jaguar, is the resident narcotics expert. 
So it goes on to say that Brown's testified in thousand narcotic related trials, three to five each day. This guy's coming into and like Lily says, this is a quote from it's my high. I want the jury to experience the drug trip without going through it all. I want to put them there at the drug corner. I want them to see what's happening up close. I want them to live it, smell it, taste it. Johnny Va- Brown loves a little bit of Johnny Brown. Uh, the more you, you yeah. read all this lot of quotes out there. Yeah. And this guy was essentially who Congress went to and said, all right, Congress is in D.C. This guy's in D.C. He seems pretty legit. He's got a bunch of, you know, degrees and diplomas and all this stuff. We'll just show it him. Like, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, but it sounds like he does drugs. <laughs> Let's just be real. If, if it, anybody yeah. says, I want you to live it, feel it, taste it, smell it, then what are you doing? And that article was from when? 1983. Oh, so I got an article from a little bit later <laughs> where you can see just how much Johnny St. Valentine Brown was actually doing. Uh, in 2001, he got convicted of perjury and got an additional one-year prison term for submitting a batch of phony letters to the court that attested to his redeeming character. So basically, <laughs> this man has been lying Every time he hits the stand. And then when it came time for people to, you know, write a letter, you know, just attesting to his character, uh, he wrote the letters. He wrote all the letters. They found them on his computer. He was given names of preachers. He's given names of (laughs) other people in the government. And and he said, this is the part that killed me. He felt like he was authorized to write the letters. On behalf of other people. Yes, because... This is his quote. He said, certainly no one can write a better letter about me than me. That's a great line. <laughs> That's an amazing line. I love this guy. This, yeah. this, this <laughs> if, is, he didn't, if he didn't incarcerate thousands of people on bullshit. Oh, man. And then they said his initial troubles really stemmed from his testimony at trials. And not even what he was saying, but what he said about himself. Yeah. Once again, this, is, this dude likes himself, so... He was telling people he was a registered pharmacist, Mm -hmm. which he isn't, (laughs) that he had a doctorate in pharmacology from Howard University, which he doesn't. They say he just started lying about himself years ago, and all of this came to perjury, and looks like he had to serve about at least a year, maybe two in jail. And and this, this this is their guy. Yeah. This is their guy. He was quoted back in 83, and I think this is a very telling line from, like, what you're saying a lot of times it's not the evidence that wins the case. It's whether the jury likes you. And who doesn't like a Howard-graduated pharmacist? On, yeah, exactly. Who doesn't yeah. like a pharmacist who has Valentine in his name? Exactly. Like, yeah. like, I don't even think that's your real name. And this is the guy Eric went to to get the quantities yeah. that have got so many people fucked over in the war on drugs. Yeah. Apparently he used to... He would move around and jerk around like this is what you look like when you're high on like Preladin, it says, and all these like different heroin boosters. And that's what he would do in court. So he's just like he's a screenwriter. He's doing bits. Yeah. He's literally doing bits. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like reading this stuff is funny, but it's fucked because this dude did not have any information that was valuable. And it's gotten so many people crushed. Yeah. It's funny until you realize like what this actually the the consequence were that yeah. this perjurer this guy who lied on the witness stand in thousands of cases was the foremost expert on what triggered someone to spend the next 5 10 50 years behind bars 
Um, right. Yeah, he was known as Downtown Freddy. Right. And that's in statute now. Wow. What Downtown Freddy said. Wow. That's how American law was made in 1986. That's crazy. There we are. Make sure you follow the War on Drugs podcast so you don't miss any new episodes or any of our quick fix bonus content. And we'll be back next week with another episode of War on Drugs. Until then, thank you for listening. Executive producers for War on Drugs are Jason Flom and Kevin Wirtz. Senior producer is Michael Epstein. Editing by Nick Massetti and Michael Epstein. Associate producer and mix and mastering by Nick Massetti. Additional production by Jeff Clyburn and Anna McEntee. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Lava for Good. You can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Glaude and Clayton on Instagram at Clayton English. The War on Drugs is a production of Lava for Good podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. I'm your host, Clayton English. And I'm Greg Glaude. And we'll see you next time. See you later. I was supposed to talk to you. Hey, man. (laughs) (laughs) We got it. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Today's episode is brought to you by The American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, The American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.